0: Welcome to 66 Lessons for Life, the weekly radio program recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida, taught by our teacher John Garepa, an attorney who guides us in the way of wisdom with a biblical worldview. You're invited to join us for the study. We are finishing up Joshua chapter 7, and we will begin Joshua chapter 8 today, I promise you all of that, good Lord willing but we have some important things to talk about in Joshua 7 as we tie that up into a neat bow. You know, here we see the lessons in Joshua chapter 7 that right on the verge of having the greatest victory that they could have ever had where the walls of Jericho are just pulled down and they go in and take take Jericho and yet one of the people, one of the people Achan defies the command of God and takes items that were not his. And we see the consequence. We see the consequence of defying God's will. Because what happens when sin comes in? Well, they t- they turned around. They went up to the city of Ai to take the city of Ai, and thought it would be so so much easier than Jericho. It wasn't as fortified. wasn't as big. There weren't as many people. And yet they suffer a terrible defeat. Why? Because God was not with them. Because God withdrew His hand. And why was that? Because there was sin in the camp. Yes. One person had defied God's will, and as a result of that, as a result of that sin, God took away his hand. And so we see the lesson about why God will not sustain us when there's something wrong in our lives. Now, let's understand something. I'm not distinguishing this from being saved and unsaved. This is about people who have given their hearts to God and are saved. And yet, within being saved, within being a child of God, the question is, is your walk in accord with God's will. And here's the question. Are you being used to the fullest by God? And if you are not being used to the fullest, is there some secret compartment in your life that needs to be cleaned out and will not, you will not be blessed to the fullest until you clean out that closet? And this is the lesson that we're studying here in chapter 7. And so many of us have those secret compartments in our life. Those areas where we say only we know about. And it's okay. I'm only a guy. I'm only a human being. Come on. I'm not a saint. God knows I'm weak. He knows I'm weak. But look at my heart. I still love you, God. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Don't go there. God says, I am righteous. I am holy. And if everything that we've studied here over the past several years about the the holiness and righteousness of God doesn't resonate with you, go back and read Leviticus 16. And you see what it took, what it took for the Old Testament Jews to be atoned. All of the ritual cleansings. And you understand who God is and how God looks at our hearts. And so here you see that Achan violated God's will. Why? Because basically he was greedy and he was an idolater. Meaning what? Meaning that he had a love in his heart for material possessions. Gold, silver fine fabrics. It didn't matter that God said uh, you couldn't touch it. He wanted it. And it it resonates with me because so many of us are like that today. We have have, uh, materialism in our life, whether it's uh, cars or houses or stock portfolios or praise of men or popularity or power. You fill it in. Or women, sexual lust issues. We all have some little issue in our life, our own Achilles heel that relates to every one of us that in some ways hinders us from getting closer to God. And I I told you that as I've matured as a Christian, I've asked God repeatedly, Lord, keep me, keep me within your will. Help me, Lord, to be the kind of man you want me to be. Direct me away from those things that I should not be involved in. And help me, God, help me not to ruin the ministry that you give me. And you see so many times, we've talked about it, so many times guys that were being used used in a mighty way, evangelists and preachers of gigantic churches, <coughs> fall down. And when they fall, they drag hundreds of people with them. And so you got to pray for people like that. you got to pray for each other. And when we see brothers... That are going in the wrong way. In love, we have a responsibility to reach out to them. Now, be careful how you do that, all right? I don't want you to go out and say, Oh, God spoke to me last night. Oh, and you're, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. In fact, it may be too late for you. It may be you're lost. Look, you know, first of all, you'll never have a friend. You speak like that. Nobody would. I, I wouldn't even want to be your friend, honestly, speaking like that. You need to speak in love with a caring attitude, and and say to people, you know, you ought to think about the issues in your life and what you're doing and what the consequences are. You talk to people like that, and you say, I'm praying for you. You will, any time you say to somebody, I'm praying for you, I defy you to say, have that person come back and say, stop praying for me. I never heard that. I never heard somebody say, no, don't, don't, don't pray for me. Instead, every person that I've ever said that I'm praying for you said, thank you so much. Thank you for praying for me. And that's what you want to do. You're praying for people. So the question is, now, what are we going to learn here? What are we going to learn in this situation? Because this, we study scripture in order for us to learn about the relevance of scripture in our life today. That's why God called me to teach the gospel. Everything that I do here is meant to give you applications in this world for how God wants you to live. This is not just a time to be entertained. It's not just a history lesson. It's about what's the application today of this. And I think there's a very good application for this. Why Achan fell and why we have that issue today that's important. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. And another example of using the New Testament to show and prove the Old Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. And this is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, explaining to them how he has learned to live. And it's so important, and it resonates today so much with me. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or Or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Amen. I can do everything in him who gives me strength. So what does it mean? It means this. Don't be looking for materialism. Don't be looking for a prosperity that you think is going to give you happiness. Because I'm going to tell you something. The amount of money that you have is not directly related to how happy you will be with the Lord. I grew up with people that were poor. I didn't even know we were poor. How do you like that? That's the ultimate answer when God is with you. I thought we were middle class. It didn't dawn on me that sleeping in a kitchen is not typically middle class. You understand? I was 18, still sleeping in the kitchen. That didn't seem anything unusual. Somebody said to me yesterday in church, that was a blessing for me, he said, because you you obviously like refrigerators. (laughs) Another example of forced humility. <laughs> and I mean, he actually said that to me. So the, the, but the point of it is, there wasn't a day that we were unhappy. We were, we were filled with the happiness of God, the peace of, the, of Lord Jesus, that I saw my father giving everything that he had to the church and, and becoming a pastor. It never dawned on us. It never dawned on me that, that we weren't wealthy. And you see, those are the lessons that resonate with you for the rest of your life. How many of you guys uh, are, are members of country clubs or members of golf clubs, and you see people who are involved in the ongoing pursuit of prosperity and affluence? It never ends. It never ends. You know, one of the things that they say about coming to Naples, Florida, and obviously there are people listening to this broadcast that are not from Naples, Florida. But I'll give you a tip. If you ever visit Naples, Florida, the two things that they say when you come here are these. Number one, you're not as old as you thought you were. And number two, you're not as rich as you thought you are. And that's the thing. Because if you come down, and you're here, and you're looking to be in some pecking order of riches, and because you have defined yourselves by riches, You're going to find that every day there's somebody that's got more, got a bigger boat, got a bigger house, got better cars. And so if you get involved in that and that becomes the very defining aspect of your life, then you have a loser life. Instead, if you've given it to Jesus and say, God, I want to be your man. I want you to take me and use me, Lord. I don't care about these other things. If you want me to have them, you'll give them to me. And then you'll find, you know what you'll find? After a while, it doesn't really ring your bell. It doesn't ring your bell the way it used to. And, and, and it's not that they're bad in and of itself, but that you have, you have a, a whole different mindset uh, of what God called you to do. And so you see this, uh, and it's an important lesson. I want you to turn a couple pages further back while you've got it open in Philippians to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's the love of money. It's not having the money. If God has blessed you with affluence, then, then that's a gift from God, and hopefully you know how to use it. What a tremendous gift it is. If God has blessed you in such a way that he has given you affluence, and now you're on a double responsibility. Because what are you going to do with that affluence to advance the kingdom of God? Are you just going to lavish it on yourself your whole life? Or are you going to make sure that God's kingdom is being blessed? And and frankly, some of the most blessed things that you can see are people that have wealth, who have committed their lives to Jesus and have committed that wealth to the advancement of the kingdom of God. Wow, that's a powerful thing. And you see so many ministries, so many people being blessed by people like that. Who do it in humility, and so you understand this. This is a lesson about what this. This is important to us. This is why I stay in a chapter in Joshua for weeks. Look at the look at the the gold that God gives us in this chapter. As you drill down and you see His will, and so this is the lesson. This is why fundamentally Achan fell. Achan fell, uh, and not only did he fell, he dragged his family down, and he dragged the country down. He dragged the country. And so you understand that this is an important lesson for us. We've got to live our lives the way God wants us to live. You're saved. You've given your heart to the Lord. Now, what kind of walk, what kind of walk is there going to be? What kind of uh, giftedness is there going to be as you go and impact the world? And so now it comes time. Now it comes time for judgment. Oh, we don't like that part. We don't like that part. Do we skip this part? You know, can we skip this part about judgment? But no, you can't skip the judgment part. Because as God says, we need to find out who the evildoer was. And you know, we went through this. He goes basically family by family, uh, giving the evildoer time to confess and repent, ask for forgiveness. And of course, Achan never did. He sat mute, sitting there and not saying a word, uh, not repenting. And God eventually finds you out. Your sin will find you out. And finally, they find him. Joshua confronts him, and uh, Achan confesses. He doesn't say, he doesn't repent, really. He confesses. Uh, And so, now take a look, if you would, uh, at verse 22, and you see how this unfolds. So, Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. And they took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him. Now imagine that, several million people there, as this is all unfolding, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen. Understand that the whole family was involved in concealment. Let's understand this. This is not just an individual act of sin. It is now a collective sin in that family. His oxen... His donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. Can you imagine? All of that. They brought them up to the valley of Achor, and Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones, that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, come on, God, I understand you punishing Achan, but what, the kids? Isn't there a passage in Deuteronomy that says that the children shall not pay, pay this for the sins of the father? Yes, absolutely. That's fact. That's theologically correct. Your children will not pay for your sins. But if you have participated in the conspiracy to sin, then it is a family-wide sin. And God looks at this as a metastatic event. This is spreading. And let's understand what we're dealing with here. This is important. You're dealing with the beginning of the Jewish people as a people of God. Going into the promised land. For the first time, God's people, a theocracy, he's raising them up to be a nation of priests. A nation of priests who will take the message of God throughout the world. And so in order to do that, he demands perfection. He demands holiness and righteousness uh, and people living without sin. And so that is why, that is why on that date, he wiped out the entire family uh, of Achan. Uh, and it's amazing. Now, uh, somebody once said to me, uh, a Jewish guy said to me, You know, uh, your God, the God of the New Testament, is a lot better than the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> you know, the Old Testament God, he goes, He's rough. He goes, but you know, I go to my Christian friends and I see for you know, he says, you know, for Hanukkah, I might get a dreidel he goes, and I go to one of my Christian pals growing up, and he'd get a pony for Christmas. He'd get a pony, and I'd get a dreidel. There's a big difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And the answer to that is yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, And the first answer is uh, one word called grace and mercy. That through Jesus Christ, there has been extended to us incredible acts of mercy and grace. And so, yes, that wasn't available in the Old Testament. Got to remember that God is demonstrating to the Jewish people who he is, who is his sovereignty, and why he is holy, and giving them the law ultimately to get them to understand that the law convicts. We can't live by the law. We can't walk this way. God, help us. God, give me mercy. And when we would do that, ultimately, it is all a foreshadowing of the need for a savior. Uh, and But you see, when Jesus uh, met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he said to her, I know, he goes, I know who you are. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And yet God gave, expressed love towards her and called her and ultimately saved her. And she became effectively one of the very first uh, missionaries. For the gospel of God. And you see that. Uh, and, and you see this several other times. But there's another example in the New Testament. How about the story of Ananias and Sapphira? You know that story? You know that. First New Testament church starting off early and, and, the, and it's a glorious time uh, in the New Testament church in Acts. The early pages of Acts. And here they are, whoever needs, got it. Whatever, if I had something more than I needed, I would share it. It was a communal effort there where everyone would bring their goods into the, the church and they would take care of the needy people. And so Ananias and Sapphira, as other people were doing, decided to sell a plot of land. And as wherever whereas everyone else was bringing in the entire proceeds and, and giving it to the church, giving it to God, Ananias and Sapphira said, let's sell it, but let's keep, Let's keep like half. Let's keep a good chunk of this for ourselves. Who's gonna know? Oh, that's a bad. That's a bad one right up there. You know. And here's the thing: it's the early stages of the church. If you had read your Bible, you would have seen what happened in the early stages of the promised people of uh, of Israel. The analog is the same. We've just crossed the Jordan. Now a guy's wiped out along with all his family and his farm animals. Because he didn't do what God said. How about we keep half back? Zzz, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. And so the husband comes in first. He comes in first. And, and, you know, he's asked, is this? Did you sell it? Yes. And have you given, uh, we've given everything to God. Boom. Struck dead. Carried out. Dragged out. Dragged out head first. Got it? Dragged out head first couple hours later, the wife comes in. Did you and your husband sell? Yes. And did you turn it off? Yes. Turned it all in. Boom. Dead. Two deaths. Two deaths within several hours. Why? Because they violated God's will. You understand? They lied to God. Why? Now, why did God do that? Would he do this today? Let me tell you. If he did this today, they'd have to have ambulances lined up at the churches. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this. There'd be a lineup. There'd be nothing but corpses being dragged out on an ongoing basis. And so, so why? Why did he do it then? And why doesn't he do it today? And the reason he did it then is he was showing what he intended the nascent church to be as it got developed. This is how I want this church to be. You're going to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. I don't want sin. I don't want degradation. I don't want lying. I don't want hypocrisy. I want it to be crystal clear. This is how I want it to be dealt with. And so you see this image. So that's why God wiped out Achan and his family. And you see that. Uh, and it's it uh, resonates so much with me. God called the Jewish people to be the priests of his religion to the entire world. He wanted them to. To be witnesses in every way to the world. And the only way you can be a witness is you have to tell the truth. Your life has to be in line with God. If I'm a witness to God, God wants me to reflect his life, then I'd better be an accurate mirror. And that's what God wanted from the Jewish people. That's what he wanted. And so as they begin their initial foray into the promised land, this is why why God wanted it. And so, yes, God will bless God will lift you up. God will affirm you. He will put you in so many ways, give you things that you never would have. But with the blessings comes responsibility. Let's remember that. Responsibility, meaning God expects us to live that kind of life. And so as I wrap this up, I just focus on three concluding points that I think uh, tie up this message. Number one, our sin needs to be dealt with honestly and decisively honestly and decisively. Don't kid yourself that you're not sinning. Don't kid yourself that that you're in in a perfect state with God. Uh, And then number two, that Achan's sin grew with dissatisfaction. He was unhappy. He was unsatisfied. Even though he was there, God had protected him. God is opening up the promised land and shortly he's going to give every single one of these Jewish people their own home. They're going to have their own place. And yet he refused... To wait on God. He refused to have the patience to wait for God to take care of him. He wanted to do it his own way. And his greed and his materialism surfaced. And so you see what happens in every way. And so God tells us, God tells us that he will take care of us. He will give us what we need. And if we wait on God and have the patience to do that, God will so honor us. And now we get to chapter 8. And so here it is. Now, and this is the great thing about God. All right, you've suffered. You've had the pain of defeat. You've now, you've now been beaten. And you've sat there and you've sanctified yourself. You found out who the sinner was. You, we've had judgment on the sinner. Now God says, move on. Move on. Pick yourself up. Move on. Let's go and do what I told you to do. I want you to take uh, the city of I. And so you see this. Uh, in in so many ways. And as we start this, I want you to read Psalm 119, verse 67. Great way to start this. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. All right, how's that? Is that pretty straightforward? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. I got it, God. I got the two by four on the side of the head. You got my attention, all right. I'm straight. I'm not going to make this mistake again. Well, let's not go there. But the bottom line is, you see that they've got their attention, and so this this uh, passage we're about to read uh, about the city of I just shows you the the love of God, the love of God. So I'd like to start with just the first the first two verses. Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. Well, let's stop and focus right up front about, about what God is, is saying there. And, and you see, the first thing he says is, I've already given you this city. It's yours. The blessings are there. I will be with you. We've moved on from the defeat. Now I need, you need to know that God is with you and he'll protect you. And bless your efforts because you're doing that. And so as you see these words, these words had to be incredibly comforting to Joshua because he had remembered these words being used before. Do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid of your enemies. And God's saying that to us today. Look, we have so many enemies in our life. How many of us have have so many fears, whether it's growing old, growing poor, not having enough money, our health issues, our relationship issues. All of us, there's not a single person in this room that in some way or shape or form is not concerned with some of these issues. These are the enemies of life. And you know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. And what do I mean by that? I mean by this, you start with a little legitimate problem and Satan will blow it up into an obsession. Blow it up into an obsession. And what God is saying to you today is, you are my child. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. I will be with you, and I'm going to give you victory. And so this is important to us. Uh, And uh, Moses heard these first words. And I want you to see what Moses said to Joshua himself. Turn to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse, we'll do it, we'll start with 7 seven and eight, as you see what Moses said to Joshua. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Can I get an amen? amen? Please. There is God's message to you today. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I will go with you. I will go ahead of you. I've already given you this city. I've given you this city. I've given you this promise. And so you see that. Joshua knew those words. He had heard them before. Moses had uttered them to it. And Moses had said the same thing when he sent out the 12 spies going into the promised land. So God repeated these promises over and over and over. And so what it reminds us, it reminds us that God is a comfort. He is a God of comfort who wants to comfort us and encourage us through his word. That's why God speaks his word. To put you to remembrance. Remember, I was there. Remember, I will be there. I will never let you down. And so as we start these first two verses, we see that there's a couple of of principles that need to be considered. The first thing is don't make the same mistake twice. All right. God's word to Joshua was to use all of the fighting men of Israel. Did you notice that? All. All. We're not going to send up 50% this time. We're not going to hold up that hold up some men back. We're committing everything, even though it's a smaller place than Jericho. God says I want them all used, and so now we're no longer overestimating ourselves. There's the uh, one of the lessons: overestimating ourselves. Oh yes, I, oh yes, I can take care of this, God. Oh yes, I got this covered. This is in my wheelhouse. You know, I know when I need you, God. But this is something I've studied for in terms of my professional life, God. I don't need you in my professional life. I need you maybe in my personal life, but in my professional life, I got it covered. Failure. Failure. There's no part of your life that you, you, that you have that you don't need God. And, and when you start saying that there are areas of your life that, that you've got covered, well, then you're on the road to defeat. And so you understand that. Don't make the same mistake twice. Take all the fighting men. Don't overestimate yourself and underestimate the enemy. And then turn the place of defeat into the place of victory. That's what God's saying. I know we lost here before. I know you were routed and men were killed. Don't think, though, that that's going to stay there forever. I've given this place to you. This is victory. And so when God makes that promise, we need to embrace it. Uh, And then understand this, that the basis of victory is always the same. uh, And that is God is with us. And if God is with you, nothing can stop you. God is with you, nothing can delay you. If God is with you, nothing is going to uh, stop you from being affirmed. God will deliver you and and use you. And then another lesson that we see here is that the spoils of victory are now promised to all the people. Whoa, that's a big difference. You understand that? That's a big difference from what we saw, saw As they went into Jericho, because the spoils of Jericho were not the people's. They were God's. And as I've studied this, you know why I have concluded that is so? Because it was the first fruits of the first step into the promised land. How do you like that? In other words, it was the tithe. It was God's. It was God saying, this is your first foray as you're now stepping up and taking what I'm giving you, the very first part of the first foray is mine. Ooh, not sure I like that kind of a message, John. You know, I don't like to, I'm not into tithing. I'm not into that. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather have the freedom to give what I think is right. That's right, and what, and what do you think is the freedom? Eh, you know, a buck here, or a buck there. After all, you know, after all, you know, I got to take care of myself first. Oh, boy. Ananias and Sapphira taking care of myself first. You know, let me tell you something. These lessons are not written for your entertainment. These lessons are written. So God is teaching you something. And here it is. You go into Jericho. I yank the walls down. I give you the territory. And I tell you what. All of the valuable possessions that you find are mine. Why? Because I want you to understand who I am as God, as sovereign God. It is the very first fruits. Just like in their, in their harvesting, there was a very first fruit in their harvest. The first part of the harvest went to the temple, went to God. And so many of us have forgotten this. So many of us have forgotten this and we've got lacks. Look. This isn't about me preaching. you got to give money to me or give money to some other effort. That's between you and God as to where the money goes. I don't understand what I'm saying. It's between you and God. But you guys got to understand something. Don't go thinking it's all yours. It's all mine. Because when you do that, here's what you do. You poison the remainder. It's all mine. It's all mine. And I'll dole out a buck here and a buck there. Instead, God wants you to say, God wants you to say, yes, Lord, it's the first fruits. It's the first part. You've given me a victory. And I recognize God that I have to open my, my heart up and I have to give back to you. And so you see this. Here it is. Jericho. We, we see God says, Get the first fruit comes to me. It comes to me now. As they go to I, God says, now the first fruits I have received. Now the rest is yours. And everything there you can keep. How do you like that? You see the distinguishment between I and Jericho. Jericho came first. It was the first foray. Now we're moving into a secondary position. And God recognizes this. And think about this. Think about the irony of a guy who ultimately winds up executing his entire family for greed. And if he had just waited a short period of time, he would have gotten everything that he wanted. because in I, God says the people can have it. So what's the lesson? The lesson here is that God loves us, even as he sets out his rules and regulations. And so if we abide by them, if we abide by God's love, he's going to pour what you need into your life. Here it is. A short time later, he pours it all out. He gives him everything. He gives the people everything that he kept in Jericho. And now he gives it to them. And so we see that. And so you see here, you see in this lesson, that, that, that God is directing Joshua uh, in terms of how this attack should be made. And what's interesting to me as I study this, what I see is that the same way God had directed the battle for Jericho is entirely different from the city of Ai. Entirely different. In Jericho, God made it very clear You're going to just march around the walls. You're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to do that every day. And on the seventh day, you're going to do this for seven times. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep your mouth shut. You're not going to say anything. You're going to do it silently. And I will pull the walls down. Now, the city of I, God doesn't work the same way. He doesn't always have the same plan. So what worked for you with God last year is not necessarily the same thing that God's going to want with you this year. Every year, every fact pattern stands on itself. And so we need to be open to say, God, how do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to do? How is it different, Lord? Just because I did it that way last year doesn't mean I, I become a robot. Because God says, well, you need to listen to me to have the discernment. What's right today? And so look at this. It's amazing battle plan. As God speaks to Joshua and lays out this battle plan. And what a battle plan it is. Now, obviously, the city of Ai recognizes that they've already beaten these people. They're not impressed. We're not impressed. We don't think you're so hot. So now, what do they do? God recognizes this, and so God divides up the army into three parts. Three parts. They're going to be a part that's going to lie in wait behind the city, all right, an ambush, a uh, uh, the, the, the translation that I read originally said 5,000. I read another translation that said it was, it was only going to be about 50. But whatever it is, it was going to be a group of people in ambush, lying in ambush, waiting, waiting uh, to get in and seize, seize the city. Then, what, was God, what did God tell them to do? The main army was going to come up and be in full visibility, full visibility of the city. And that was going to be to entice those soldiers those fighting men from the city to come out and attack them and to run after them, to follow after them. And then there was a third force that God directed that be used to keep reinforcements from coming into battle against them. Can you imagine? God draws up this intricate pattern of how he wants them to to take the battle. And that's exactly what happened, as you're going to see. That's exactly what's going to happen. The, the, the city of Ai looks out, sees the Jews there. They immediately go out and run after them. They empty the city. They empty the city. And while the city is emptied, while the city is emptied, those people that were lying in ambush come back in and burn the city to the ground. Burn the city to the ground. And so now the soldiers are out and look back and see the city smoldering smoldering and being destroyed. So now they try to go back. Now they're caught in a pincer movement and everybody is wiped out. Everybody is wiped out. 12,000 people executed that day. And so you you see this and you understand again that God is saying that when you listen to him, when you put your life with him, he will be with you. This again resonates with me. So just read with me verse 3. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to A, and Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and it will come about when they come out to meet us at the first they will flee; that we will flee before them, and they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing before us at the first. So we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then Then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Verse 10. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people. And he went up with the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. Then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west, and Joshua spent the night in the midst of the city. And so what you see here is it all set up exactly the way God orchestrated it. This is what I want you to do. And when we obey God, when we follow God's will, when we live in accordance with his rules and regulations, he gives us victory. He gives us victory you have the assurance that he will be there. And you're going to see this. And you're going to see it in the in the uh, next week as we go through and study the description of the battle itself, but that the battle has is, is been given to the Jewish people in every way. And that city is wiped out. And we're going to study uh, why that happened, what God expects from us, what are the lessons now of this city, what does God want from us in our lives as we continue our walk before him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us, for the instruction, for the lessons, Father, for what we see is is your heart, Lord. Please help us to root out those aspects of our life that are not in accord with your will. Give us discernment, Father, as to how you want us to live, and give us the ability to go before you and ask for repentance as we pull out these aspects of our lives From the secret closets of our life. Bless our men, Lord. Be with them. Protect especially those who are traveling back to their northern climates, Lord. Protect them in every way. Bring these men back next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to 66 Lessons for Life the men's Bible study taught by John Garippa and recorded live at the Naples Conference Center in Naples, Florida. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding so that you, the man of God, would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For more information about the program or attending the Naples Men's Bible Study at the Naples Conference Center, go to our website at 66lessonsforlife.com.